This episode of The Bag Drop, Untold Stories in Golf, is brought to you by New Club Golf Society, a humble community of golfers connected by our love for the game. Follow us on social media with the handle New Club Golf. Welcome back. I'm Matt Considine. In our last season of The Bag Drop, we uncovered the untold stories from the PGA pros, superintendents, architects, and operators who make it possible for us to play the game we all love. To kick off our new season, we turn the mic to our members and ambassadors to show you how the community itself might be the best part of golf. John Williams, welcome to the member series of The Bag Drop. Thank you. Good to be here. It's good to have you here. It's been uh, what's been funny about these member-focused um, pods is you know we started um, started this whole series with the intention of just letting members and listeners get to know our members and and uh, ambassadors, and and that was you know we we started it uh, about a month ago and and it was making a lot of sense. Now it's almost like a necessity for everyone to connect, so people are really enjoying you know these these ambassador member focused pods because they get to know some more people in the community and they get to actually engage with those people and share stories. So, uh, I just want to thank you for coming on. Yeah. Thank you. It's great to be here. And, um, I've been listening to the podcast and, and following along. So, um, yeah, great to talk some more with you. Well, you're, you're also, uh, you might be our youngest or I shouldn't say youngest cause age is just a number who cares. <laughs> right. I think you've been the the ambassador for the least amount of time to come on the pod, so it's cool to have some fresh blood, some fresh faces. Um, you know, typically we'll we'll kind of cover where people have been, both in their life and their game of golf. And I, I do want to do that with you because uh, you know you got you got a fascinating background. But I do want to start where with where you're actually going. So why, why don't you share with us uh, where you're headed this fall? Yeah, definitely. So I'm planning to enroll at the University of St. Andrews starting in the fall for a one-year master's program, uh, my master's in management, uh, master of letters there. So um, I'm pumped, uh, just so excited to go back to, to St. Andrews and, and live there and play golf and just kind of be in the town and at the university. Um, I stayed there for a week uh, when I visited St. Andrews a couple of years ago after I graduated college. So um, that was the first time I'd been over there. And I always kind of saw myself going back eventually. There was just, you know, it, it's hard to hard to not love it if you love golf when you're there. So um, met so many amazing people there too. I was just there alone. So, I mean, the, the idea of kind of being at school and just actually living there and kind of getting settled is, is just so exciting for me. So how did you convince family and advisors that, you know, St. Andrews was where you had to be from an educational standpoint? <laughs> yeah, well... I told my dad and he was like, yeah, so how can I help with your application? <laughs> you know, like I want you there. Yeah. Yep. Um, yep. He'll be there every month. Exactly. Yeah. My parents were, were very supportive and luckily where I'm working right now, they've been supportive as well. I told them that I was thinking about graduate school and, um, you know, they told me I'll be welcome back if I want to come back and work at the same company um, or, you know, find something new. So it, it seems like it's kind of a good time to just take advantage of something like that, kind of take a break or reset almost for, for a year, go back to school and kind of think about what's coming next and keep playing golf. So, um, yeah. That's awesome. What do you think your your handicap? What will happen when you get over there? You think it's just going to plummet? You going to just hone your links game? I hope so. Yeah, we'll see. It's funny. When I first went over there, it was kind of when I was first getting really into golf. And 
it really did influence my game and my swing. I kind of noticed how I was developing that lower shot and kind of the abbreviated follow through and just, um, you know, kind of learning to play with the wind. And like, if it's not raining, is it like, what's going on out here? You know, it's, it's surprising, but um, yeah, no, I, I'm excited to, to kind of keep playing and especially that style of golf. I think it, it's interesting the way it challenges you. And I think I've been trying to kind of find certain courses in the U S that are not links golf, but, you know, have kind of that similar vibe or mindset to it with just, you know, accepting bad breaks and kind of, you know, where's the ball going to bounce if you, you hit a perfect shot and it doesn't work out well. And, um, I, I like to think I love that. I don't always, but I, I like the idea of the challenge like that. So yeah, I'm, I'm just so pumped to get back there. It, it's such a drastic, uh, change from probably how the two, we both grew up. I'd imagine you grew up in Connecticut. I grew up in Ohio and, you know, there, there ain't links golf in, in those two places. There's, there's good golf, but, um, you know, when, when I studied abroad, I mean, I'm pumped for you, man. Going over there was life changing for me. I wouldn't be sitting here doing this podcast if, if I, uh, hadn't made that trip yeah. and, and spent that year there. The, the golf though, it really changed my whole perspective. Cause just like you said, there's no perfection. It's impossible. It's, it's, and, and we, I know it's unattainable in golf in general, but over there, you have to be so much more accepting of your bounce, right? Of the conditions, of how things change, and you got to be you got to be more in the moment than you know. Here, I think we we uh, fall succumb to the perfect ideal golf swing, the perfect ideal golf yes. shot, the conditions that allow us to you know play in a vacuum some days, and and that's just not the game. So. Exactly. Yeah. Always something to complain about. And, you know, it's not my fault. It's something else that you can always put it on. And I remember when we were talking um, a couple of weeks ago, you saying you, you were talking about being re- reminded about, you know, just the mindset over there and, and kind of the feel of being on a, on a links course when you are in Scotland or Ireland. And I've been thinking more and more about that, just how I, I kind of want to tap back into that and, and have those those different reminders. Um, it was just making me think of my first day alone there in Scotland. Um, I went to Shishkin on the Isle of Arran, that 12 hole course there. And, um, you know, I, I showed up alone. I had my Airbnb set up or, um, it was kind of a small bed and breakfast that I was staying at. It was on this Island. It turns out it's like an hour 20 drive from the course. I thought it's a small Island. Like I can maybe even walk there just right down the road, but I had to hop on the bus to get there. And it's like, you know, school children getting on with me. I'm sitting there with my golf clubs, like, you know, hello. Yeah. Sorry. You know, don't mind me scooting over and uh, they're all getting off walking to school. And I show up at the course and it's like sideways rain, like 40 mile per hour winds. I'm the only one out there. The guy in the pro shop's looking at me like, are you know, are you sure you want to go out there? And I'm like, I don't know, you know, what do you think? <laughs> but I just kind of went out and, and played. And I, I was kind of like, you know, what, what was I thinking? What am I doing here? But um, but then you're just out there and you're like, okay, I'm going to get wet. I'm going to, you know, not shoot my best score. Like what, what am I going to actually enjoy while I'm out here? And, um, I think that first day was pretty important for just my mindset with the trip. I had like the rest of it really not planned out at all. I didn't know where I was staying or anything. I went on to Makrahanish after that, but, um, you know, I was just, I kind of accepted that I was just there. This was what it was. I'm here to play golf and enjoy it. And, you know, let's just see what happens basically. Just see what, see what happens. So that trip, uh, how, how long ago was that? How old were you? And what, what propelled you to go do that solo? Not many, 
young, you know, amateur golfers are going to do that on their own. So tell us where that kind of came from. Yeah. So I never really golfed growing up. Um, I always caddy. That was my summer job. I was a caddy at Wingfoot. And when I graduated college, I got really into the game uh, the summer after when I moved home, I was looking for a job and um, not really sure, you know, what was coming next. But I just I started playing every day. Um, I would go to Wingfoot and just practice. I would play nine holes. I would kind of chip around and putt. And um, my dad took me to this golf camp, too, at the start of that summer, Extraordinary Golf, which is run by this guy, Fred Shoemaker. And um, that that changed my game. And it, it I think, kind of tapped into something that I was really interested in with kind of the more spiritual side of the game and kind of thinking about, you know, we're not telling you how to swing the golf club or how you need to approach the game, but it's all about kind of what are you aware of? You know, where is your mind right now? Is it in tune with your body and and your spirit and, and kind of the environment and where you are and the people you're with and just kind of where are you? And it, it changed the way that I thought about what I was doing on the course and when I went to practice and um, kind of taught me to coach myself. So my game improved pretty quickly. I, I went from, you know, maybe being able to shoot in the 90s if I played well to being close to breaking 80 when I played, you know, by the end of that summer. And um, and I always, I kind of always felt drawn in some way to Lynx golf. To, I'd been to Ireland with my family um, played a little bit over there. Not really. I'd been to La Hinch before with my dad, but um, towards the end of that summer, I was just, I was playing every day. Uh, this was 2017 after, again, I graduated and uh, just started kind of throwing out the idea of why don't I go somewhere alone? Um, I wasn't able to really study abroad when I was in school. So I wanted to have that kind of trip to do. And luckily my dad was like, yep, you got to go here, here, here. This course is incredible. I haven't been here, but this is really cool. You should check this out. Um, he set me up at, you know, a bunch of different places, but I also just would kind of, I, I found a lot of interesting places like Shishkin that he hadn't been that, um, I think those were the ones that really made the trip for me, um, compared to, you know, playing at Muirfield with, um, you know, Colonel Conan who set me up there and that was just an incredible experience there. But then, um, you know, I would just meet random people and get paired up with them in Scotland at these different courses and they would drive me back to my hotel and, and just take care of me basically. And, and that hospitality really did just that stuck with me. And um, I, I noticed it in Ireland and Scotland, and I think it, it really is special over there. So um, yeah, I just decided to kind of go for it. We, I, I booked my flights and um, had the first two nights booked. And then I was like, yeah, I'll just get over there and kind of figure it out once I'm there. And um, it wasn't that simple. Once I was there, I was kind of like, oh, what was I you know, I, I wish I planned a little bit more, but it worked out for the best. And, um, you know, I played some incredible golf and just had such a good time. And then I ended that trip meeting my two cousins, uh, Brian and Kevin, and my dad in Ireland at La Hinch uh, to wrap it up there. So it was, it was awesome. Not, not a bad finish. Yeah. How did your, because um, you, you, you suddenly, I can't just glance by Wingfoot. I mean, you mentioned Wingfoot. You grew up as a caddy there, a member there. Um, how did this experience change your perception of that place that you spent so much, so much time? Mm, That's a good question. Yeah. I think that my perception of it is, has been kind of gradually shifting the more I get into playing golf. Um, I always had, well, first of all, growing up, I, I didn't even know, I I didn't know Wingfoot was Wingfoot. You know, I kind of knew my dad was a member at a golf club. It was 30 minutes away. Sometimes we go and, you know, like I'll try to bring some clubs and hit around and it's hard and I'm 
nervous about messing up or doing something wrong when I'm walking into that place. You got to, you know, do everything correct. And um, so, you know, that was, it was a good experience for me to caddy there because it, it put me in an interesting situation with the club. I was a member's son, but I was also, I would just go sit with the caddies and I would wait. I would put my name on the list with all of them and I would try to get a loop every day and I would show up at, you know, 7 a.m., 6 a.m. sometimes and and just sit there often for four or five hours and then go out and walk the course for four hours with these caddies who are really incredible. It's a special group at Wingfoot. Um, I, I really do think it it's amazing what they do there because of the way that I think that they, they keep caddies coming back and just support them. Um, and, and I think the caddies feel that too. They feel supported by the members and, and really feel a part of the club. So I'm so glad I got to see that side of it. And, um, and I wish I played more then, but I always kind of wanted to get out of there. You know, once I finished my day caddying, you know, carrying two bags, sometimes for 36 holes, I was just ready to go. But the more I play now, I go back and I just have the biggest smile on my face. I cannot believe walking in there, one that I can just drive there and, and go play with, with my dad and just, you know, go practice and be there. And I know the guys in the clubhouse and, and, and I know everyone and it, it really, it feels so cool to, to be a part of that. And, you know, I'm out in Denver, Colorado right now, so I'm pretty far removed from it, but, um, you know, I, I want to, I want to have that and, and I want to, um, you know, just make sure that I'm kind of tapping into that and taking advantage of it. Cause it really is a special place. And, um, again, the more I play golf, the more I'm kind of, I think finding, or developing my own place in the club, whether it's going to lead to me becoming a member or just, you know, having that connection and going back whenever I can. But, um, you know, I, I'm just, I'm so lucky that I'm a part of that. And um, whenever I go back, I think I see it in new ways, just how, how special that place really is. Yeah. Were you scheduled to be there? I'd imagine spending, you know, eight, nine summers caddy and were you going back for the open? Yes, I, I was hoping to. So now if it's in September, I might be over in St. Andrews right when it starts. So Wow, wow, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What, what do you think? Uh, winning score at Wingfoot, even, even in September, September is, it might be a little drier, it might be a little firmer. Yeah, I know. What was it? In, in 2006, it was, what, plus four? Do you plus, remember? Yeah, something like that. Something like that around there, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if it was like five or six. It's hard to say, though. What makes it so hard? I think it's, you can't, there, you can't miss. Like I, I've thought about that. The courses I play out here, I can miss anywhere and get up and down, you know, not, not that I necessarily will, but at Wingfoot, it's the greens are, are so severe and the rough is long. It's not quite maybe as extreme as they can get it for, for the open when you're just out there playing, but you, you can't, you can't just, put a bunch of spin on the ball and expected to check up and stop by the hole. You had to be in the right spot and you had to, you had to anticipate so many different things. You had to land it, you know, 20 feet short and let it roll out to 10 feet long. And that's the best you can do. And you had to kind of like get in that mindset with it. And it, it's interesting because it, it's not links to golf, but there are some elements like that, you know, with um, just the way that you kind of play the slopes and, um, it, it really, those green complexes are just incredible. And, you know, every approach shot you have, there, there's no shots off basically. So if, if you're not on and you're missing slightly, it'll, it just adds up, you know? Yeah. There's just some, some big no-nos that you got to stay away from out there. It seems. Right. Let's go back to your, um, 
just kind of your progression, right? So we find you out in Colorado right now. You know, you, what, what took you out there? Did you go to school out in Colorado? I did, yeah. So I went to Colorado College, uh, started in 2013, and um, yeah, wanted to move out mainly, or maybe not mainly, but I, I love the idea of being out here to ski and just to kind of get away from the East Coast. I, I wanted to kind of see something new. I hadn't been out West too much. I'd been out to California a little bit, but um, I love the idea of just being in Colorado. It seemed like a, a state I kind of wanted to be in, and um, I loved it. I had a great time at Colorado College. I studied religion there, um, which never knew that I would study something like that, but um, really connected with a professor at the school who I still stay in touch with and you know can talk with for just hours at a time just because we're just interested in what we're talking about. And um, so that, that was really great for me. I, I had a, a great experience there. I was on the tennis team. I told you I walked on my sophomore year, um, played through my senior year. And um, and yeah, it, it was just, it was great. It's a small school. They, the way they do it is you take one class at a time at Colorado College. So for three and a half weeks, you're only focused on one course and one topic, which is part of the reason I was able to study something like religion. I could just kind of randomly take a course that I thought sounded interesting and just see what I thought of it and um, kind of, you know, maybe take another one by that same professor the next uh, next block after that and um, just kind of develop it that way. But um, yeah, it was great. I loved it. You know, the first time we met, something you shared with me, we were talking about uh, something a family member of mine was, was maybe going through, but your senior year, you had something pretty serious uh, occur. Yeah. Maybe tell us, tell us about that and, and how it how it really affected you. Yeah. Um, right before Thanksgiving in 2016, I had a seizure. Um, I was living with uh, six guys at a house off campus and um, just sitting around. And the week before the seizure, I started having these, what are, what I call auras now, um, these weird experiences. It was kind of like an intense anxiety coming over me or some like deja vu type experience. Um, it was something going on in my brain and the, it, it eventually triggered a seizure, which, um, you know, I, I woke up in the hospital. My friends had to call the uh, paramedics and luckily one of my friends was an EMT and um, it was really scary for them. I was just, you know, on the floor and, um, you know, like throwing the, these paramedics off of me. And um, I, I don't remember any of it. The next thing I knew, I woke up in, a, in the hospital and I thought like, you know, like I messed up or did something wrong. I had no idea, but every, they were all just staring down at me. I kind of split open my eye. And um, so that was scary. And they found basically a benign tumor in my left temporal lobe. It's called a cavernous angioma. Um, it was kind of a blockage of blood. So it wasn't flowing properly through there. And uh, I had to get it removed. The surgery, it, it wasn't low risk, but it wasn't, you know, the riskiest one that you could do um, as far as brain surgery is concerned. Um, but I had to decide whether or not I was going to do it halfway through my senior year. So in January before trying to go back to school and finishing up or wait until after the year ended and I graduated hopefully, um, but knowing I could have another seizure before that. So I decided to just have the surgery. I knew I would have some side effects trying to recover, um, but we just did it. I did it at Columbia Presbyterian in New York and I still don't think it really hit me that I went in for brain surgery. Like a, a few days before, I think it kind of hit home a little bit and it, it was scary. Um, it was probably scariest for my parents who were waiting for me and it, it took longer than it was supposed to. But 
um, it all, it went well and, um, I'm, I'm all good now. I had an MRI and they said, you know, everything is cleared up and it, and it looks great. So, um, I, I feel lucky in a lot of ways it could have gone differently for sure, but, um, yeah, I was able to, to graduate on time and finish up everything. And it led to me picking up golf, which is interesting. Um, in a lot of ways it, it led to that, um, to actually kind of starting to play by myself because, I moved back to school, back out to Colorado, and um, I couldn't exercise for a couple months, so I stopped playing tennis. I was kind of getting into a funk, just kind of sitting around doing nothing, And but I could walk, and I, I kind of, I started thinking more and more about golf, and I think I told you, I started just watching a bunch of old Tiger highlights. Um, there was this one, like, Power Hour video that just had every highlight from him of, you know, his hole-in-one, and, like, you know, all these different shots that I had kind of known I had seen before, but all of a sudden I was watching them again and I was like, this is cool. You know? And I, I kind of, something I think shifted for me in my head of like, wait, I can maybe do this. You know, I, I kept seeing how the pros were swinging just at anyone I would watch. And I was like, wait, why can't I just do that? It's like, you know, what am I doing when I'm playing tennis or throwing a ball or, you know, doing any sport. And um, it, it kind of shifted how I thought about it just more as an athletic motion rather than some like crazy weird motion that I had to get exactly right to, to swing correctly. So um, I just kind of randomly went out and started golfing and uh, playing nine holes at night and walking by myself and um, getting into it. And then, yeah, moved home and, you know, just started playing a ton. But um, in many ways it did. It, it came from from that brain surgery. I've seen you swing on the first tee. You have a, you have a beautiful golf swing, by Thanks. the way. It's it's fundamentally, I think a lot of people would would trade children to have a swing your <laughs> of your nature. But uh, but I've also seen you handle pressure. Did they take something else out of your brain in there? Like did they, <laughs> you know, remove that that element that we all have that gives us the first tee jitters? Because you seem like you're pretty you're rock solid. You know, that's good to hear because I don't always feel that way. But it's funny. My my friends used to joke that they put a chip in my in my brain because I was I was really good at like beer sports, you know, like like beer die and, and beer pong. And like all of a sudden, I, I don't know if I was better. Or maybe they were just noticing it for the first time. But they were like, what did they do to your brain? <laughs> you enhanced your, your, your beer athleticism. I love right. it. I love it. No, what what a what a story, and, and to have golf. Um, you know, I, I see a theme with with you, John, where it's you, you do a lot of solo golf, and um, you know, I used to. I don't do as much anymore, but there's something different about it. Is it is it that spiritual? You know, you're a guy that studied religion and <laughs> in school. Um, a lot of that, I'm sure, is based in, in just ourselves. You know, the inside. What what is it about solo golf that appeals to you when you go on these, you know, week long trips, traveling by yourself or just grabbing the bag and slinging it over your shoulder while the sun's going down? What is it about playing solo um, that that you love so much? Yeah, well, I love I love thinking about golf as yoga, as a, a form of meditation. And I think being alone, it promotes that more you know maybe than when you're out there with your friends or just with a, a random foursome that you're you're grouped with and um when i was first starting playing being out there alone it took a lot of pressure off i i wasn't worried about how i looked how i scored or anything like that and i could just i i think what always has or not always but what really draws me to the game of golf is the way i can use my body with it and and i think i i look for different ways to use my body rather than I, I kind of recognize that I'm very analytical and very self-reflective and, and I'm very in my head. So I like opportunities to get outside of it. I, I think of running as I'm um, in many ways similar to that, but 
with golf, it's interesting because it brings up so many different things. And I think when I'm out there alone, it kind of forces me to, to get even more kind of self-reflective and, and look inward about like, where am I right now? How am I reacting? What am I responding to? How is my alignment? Where am I in relation to what I'm trying to do? And, um, and I, I love thinking about just being alive through kind of that lens of, of, you know, what am I doing and how am I influenced by external factors and how am I part of those external factors and, and kind of thinking about the, those push and pulls and, and the tension between different extremes and, you know, me in the course and the ball in the club, or just, you know, like, like thinking about those relationships that exist. And um, I think that, again, playing alone, it, it prompts that in some way. But what's interesting too, is when you ask that question, I kind of made a distinction of being out just completely alone on the course and going to play alone, which I do a lot and getting paired up with people, which I love. And that's something else too. I think that if there's anything that really sustains golf for me, it's, it's the communities around it and, and the people I've met through it. And, you know, when I was in Scotland alone, I think I, that first day at Shishkin, I played alone. That was one of the one times though, that I was just fully alone out there. The next day at Shishkin, I got paired up with a grandson, father and grandfather who were locals there. And, you know, we played around together and, um, got, beers after and lunch and um you know and that was just that's what was so special about it was who i met just showing up randomly at a course at makrahanish i saw these two guys standing next to the tee box and i was kind of like i kind of want to just go play right now i could wait a little bit more for my tea time but i just went up and introduced myself and said hi i'm john i'm from the u.s can i play with you and one people i think often respect if you just come up to them and, and put yourself out there like that but then you realize that you know, you can connect and, and like I, I got their numbers and I stay in touch with them. And I met so many people who I know I can see again when I'm back over there. And um, and I think the relationships that I, I can develop just even here in Denver, I, I just I have guys I play with, but I'll often show up completely alone. And sometimes I'll meet, you know, some jerks out there who are not enjoyable to play with. But more often than not, I, I meet people who are just people and you know they're they're out there to have a good time and they're like they love golf too and there's always those those common connections that you can you can find and tap into and i think that that's pretty energizing for me to to, to think about that's really really cool i'll never forget a round i played in uh northern ireland at uh rosa Pena in college and it was this old grizzled dude i say old he's probably like 32 i was you know 20 at the time but um he didn't say a word to me. Like I, I, I did what you said. I was nervous. I said, "Hey, can I, can I join you? I, I've never played here before. I'd love to play with somebody." And he's like, "Hurry up, you know, grab your clubs." And I was like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> you know, and and he didn't say a word to me like the whole round. But afterwards, he asked me for my number. We we had like a silent match. Like I was keeping track of where he was at. He was keeping track of where I was right. at. We, we it, the wind was blowing too, and he just didn't feel like talking. But I, I think what you're, what you said really spoke to me because um, I feel like golf is the one, one of the few places where you can feel really close to people without having to always communicate in the traditional sense, like right. just watching someone interact with themselves and their in the course and their own games. Um, that to me is a form of communication. It's a way of being together, and and maybe more so in some right. way than if we were actually talking like it's um I, I get what you're saying i think that connection is is possible in a lot of ways yeah 
that is interesting it the way that it kind of brings things out of people and out of yourself and i i think i've thought about that too just what am i how am i being exposed out there you know and what is being you know shown about my where i'm at right now in my life you know and i think different things come up and it's just always what am i aware of and what are other people aware of and even if maybe we're both not aware of it it's an element at play right with us being out there together walking the course like there's that kind of back and forth even if you're not talking which is interesting <laughs> yeah I'm, i probably just was irritating the guy um, <laughs> let's do some quick answers some uh quick q a rapid fire if yeah. you will so i know you're a big fan now of uh what do we call it N- nostalgic clubs um you know pulling out probably your 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 grandfather's clubs or your dad's old clubs because i've seen you play with uh with some blades and persimmons and you know a a glutton for punishment as (laughs) many of us are but um what's your favorite uh what's your favorite club i think i'm gonna have to say grandpa's putter my dad uses the same one Um, we have his mcgregor blade the lead tape on the back and i think it's my favorite one, because I want it to be my favorite, and I think it looks cool that I use it, you know, which I think I have to kind of own up to in some way. Same with the blades and the persimmon. Like, I think there's an element of that at play. Like, I'm like, yeah, I'm the man, you know, hitting these when I hit them well. But hitting that putter, one, I kind of, I started just putting with it inside here because I wanted to use it, but I, it didn't feel right. It, like, I couldn't square it up. I, I didn't just, it didn't feel good in my hands. And but then I, I started getting more and more comfortable with it, just putting inside. And I randomly brought it out to the course out here in Colorado. And I've never putted better than when I've used it. And like all of a sudden I was just rolling in putts from all over. And I was like, this is, you know, I, this is fun. <laughs> I like this. And um, so I, I've been sticking with that. And I love having it in the bag because I just know how many, you know, rounds have been played with it, how much history is behind it. And um, there's something about that which which I love. Uh, same with using the blades and the persimmon. But um, yeah, that that McGregor putter is pretty special. What's your what's your regular gaming putter? What do you putt with regularly? The, that's the McGregor. Oh, you you that's the way you game too. That's right. Yeah. Part of that is I don't really have a, an alternate, but that that's the gamer. Yeah. Yeah. I I I love. I have some of these old hickory putters lying around that I always will roll in my apartment mm-hmm. as well. And, you know, my gamer is a, a face balanced, you know, remove <laughs> right. every bit of touch almost like it's like putts for you in a way, you know, one of these custom fitted putters. And and man, when I go to those other ones, it is just night and day. And it, it sometimes yeah. I do wonder, I'm like, man, would I be a better putter if I just, you know, went to a heel, let, let the right. putter swing open and shut. And uh, I don't yeah. know. I don't have the, the guts to try it yet. You know, I've. I've wondered too, like, would I be a much better putter if I just went and, you know, committed to getting a putter that was for me? But I think it, it kind of relates to why I love using the blades too. Like my perspective right now, at least is often, I don't want something that like masks flaws in my mm-hmm. swing or my stroke, you know, and not that like being properly fitted would do that or it's a bad thing, but I kind of like the idea of, okay, if I'm pulling it every time, like what control do I have over that? Why don't I try adjusting it and finding a position where I don't do that? You know, and I, I think it it's interesting how it, it challenges you in that way. And now I pick up like these old, I have my dad's hand-me-down AP2s and they look huge, you know, and it looks like I could just swing blindly and hit those perfectly every time. So it, it's kind of interesting how it changes that. It is. All right. What's your, uh, 
favorite current swing thought? Good question. I don't really have swing thoughts ever. Well, I like to think I don't maybe. One tempo is one I always think about. Um, I like doing sometimes different things to kind of slow me down. It's so like a buh, 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 like kind of like some tempo. I've told my friends like cheese and crackers, you know, saying things like that. Um, but one thing I've been thinking about recently, actually, and I haven't been able to play, but I, I love watching Ben Hogan swing. Who doesn't, right? And something stuck out to me, which was just kind of interesting. I was just watching his swing recently, which was about my takeaway. And I was thinking about how I start the club head first moving back. And it, the line I saw that Hogan was on with that backswing and the way that he moved his entire kind of body back with it, it, like, it kind of stuck in my mind differently than it has in the past. And all of a sudden I realized how it felt differently when I take the club backs. And so I've been thinking about that recently, like how I'm getting a full turn on, on the backswing and how that naturally allows me to like get lag and release it through, which was interesting. It, it kind of changed some feel like in, in my core and in my body with the swing. So I've been thinking about that. I haven't really brought it on the course yet, but That's, I love it. I love it. That'll either help a lot of people or just screw up <laughs> most of them. Right. Uh, on the note of Hogan, and this is just a recommendation for everyone out in quarantine land. If you're looking for, you know, you're running out of things to watch on Netflix, Shell's Wonderful World of Golf. I have been uh, pretty much nightly watching one of these. And my favorite thus far is probably Ben Hogan versus Sam Snead at Houston Country Club. It was like a newly built Houston Country Club. You can kind of tell, like it was still growing in. But just watching those two swing a golf club, Snead and Hogan, is mesmerizing. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, um, it's fantastic. And, and with the equipment they're playing of the day, I think what you're saying is very true with the putter. It's also true for the, the clubs. You know, when you have such a small margin for error, and, th- and this isn't for, you know, protect perhaps everybody, but that, that small margin of error, those guys didn't have uh, opportunity to, to make, you know, wasted movement. And, right. and they're just both so fluid and, and, um, Man, just just complete control of their golf ball, those two guys. Yep. I watched that one recently. Awesome. <laughs> Did you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, talk about when you're obsessed with golf, the things right. we'll, we'll do when we can't get out there. Um, well, what, uh, give us maybe some, a memorable moment of late. Uh, and maybe you can go back as far as you want. Actually, it doesn't even have to be late, but maybe a favorite golf story of yours that you just, you always kind of feel like you're always revisiting and you're going back to often. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking about Scotland right away. The moment that always stands out to me, I was in North Berwick for my third week before going to La Hinch and I had played Muirfield two days before or or twice the the previous two days and kind of randomly decided to take a day off and just see the town. And I was feeling a little bit, honestly, kind of down on myself. Like the trip was ending. I was wondering what was coming next. I was, you know, just, you know, in in that kind of headspace with it and um, didn't know where I was going to play the next day. But I was walking home back to my Airbnb and um, I kind of stumbled upon this woman walking her two puppies, Smudge and Fudge, I learned they were called. And they were on the other side of the street and I was kind of walking back and I was like, you know, play it cool. I please ask me if I want to come putt them, you know, like I, I kind of I wanted to, you know, <laughs> get more involved with that in some way. But um, Sandy, the woman's 
the woman's name, she called out to me and she was like, hey, could you help me get these puppies across the street? And I was like, yes, of course. So, um, you know, kind of ushered them across and started petting them. I introduced myself and we randomly started talking and I didn't really bring up golf at all. I just told her I was over here, you know, just to be here alone. I did mention I had my golf clubs, but um, kind of shared some of what I studied in college, um, you know, where I, when I graduated, what I was thinking about now. And turns out she was a member at North Barrick West right across the street, which was a course I really wanted to play, but uh, didn't know how to get on. I didn't have any connection there. And um, it was just kind of a perfect storm. Turns out she was playing tomorrow afternoon and was looking for someone to join her. So we played like a twilight round, just the two of us. The course was empty. Uh, the sun was setting right when we finished on 18. And um, it was just perfect. And, you know, we've kind of stayed in touch too and, and been writing each other. I've been meaning to tell her I'm going to be coming back to St. Andrews. And, um, but that kind of, it summed up a lot of what made just golf in Scotland so special was being able to just randomly start talking with someone, be invited out on this incredible course that I've been dying to play, but it kind of happened because I wasn't even thinking about, you know, trying to get on. It was more just, I'm just talking to someone and I like these dogs and I want to pet them, you know, and um, it just kind of happened that way. So that, that was, that was special. It was cool. <laughs> yeah. That's, I mean, chances are they're a golfer in Scotland, right? Especially in East Lothian right. where you just have a, so many riches of great grounds for golf. Um, exactly. Man, this, I tell you, this, this conversation with you is making me a little, a little depressed that we're not going to be there in a, in a couple of weeks. Cause that's, uh, that's where we should be for, you know, new clubs, big pilgrimage going in 2020. That's now 2021. And, uh, and right. they, they've officially moved the, uh, or canceled the, the open. So that won't be conflicting with us next year. And, um, I was kind of excited last time I played the old course, it was during an open year and, uh, you get to play with all the bleachers up and everything, right. but, um, but you'll be, you'll be, uh, around 2022, I'd imagine. Is it a one-year program or two-year program? One-year program. Yeah. So I'm sure I'll be there through the summer that following year. Yeah. Well, I'll be, you're going to get probably, uh, a few visitors from this podcast, myself yep. included. Awesome. Uh, I, I did get approved my application for the new golf club, St. Andrews. Uh, oh, great. I, you know, I don't know what kind of sign this is, but uh, the day after I was accepted, they they shut down all operations due to the coronavirus <laughs> pandemic. So I might be their their last member. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, but I plan to come over uh, many times, and it's it's going to be really cool in the next couple of years to have an ambassador and a friend in you, John. That uh, by that time, you better be able to show us the ropes over there. Tell us where the good pubs are. Tell us where to eat, tell us where to hang. Yep, I'll get the get the low down there. Yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> Last question for you, and I always like this one because it kind of shows a little bit of of. Uh, I think you've already shared a lot of of yourself beyond golf, but if you had to host a podcast, and it could be about any topic, just not golf, what would what would you talk about? What would your podcast be about? It would be about the. It would be connected to what I study with religion in some way. And I think, but it wouldn't be, I never like using the term religion, really. I think it, religion, it has so much weight behind it of, of what it means to so many different people. I'm fascinated thinking about what it means to be human. And the more I think about this, I, I just, I find myself getting excited thinking about talking about it. I just want to reflect on it and talk about it more. So I think if I did something like that, I would want it to revolve around 
common experiences of, of being alive and working on yourself and thinking about, you know, awareness and mindfulness and kind of deliberate practices and efforts, you know? So, yeah. Um, I, yeah, I think that's what it would come down to. I tune in, man. Get tech fired up. No, that's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, John, thanks for, for taking some time this morning, man. Um, yeah. Hang in there. Are you? Are, are people playing golf in Colorado? What's the uh, the quarantine go- governance out there? Yeah, so I just heard some courses might be open. Most of the city-owned courses are all shut down. Um, I haven't been able to play the past couple of weeks, but um, I, I think, yeah, a few are open. It might be, you know, just singles out there walking. I'm not exactly sure, but I'm hoping I'll, I'll be able to still play in the near future. We'll see. Because what's your go-to out there? Is it Common Ground? Common Ground's the go-to. Um that and Riverdale, Riverdale Dunes. Have you heard of that one? I have, yeah. Yeah, that one's great. Murphy Creek. I've been there's a bunch of great public courses like that. You know, fifty dollars around. Um, I've been so happy with it. They're twenty thirty minute drive for me, just right here in Denver. Um, so yeah, it, it's been good. Common Ground's definitely the go to though. Um, that that course is awesome, and they have a caddy program there, which I got a little bit involved with last summer. I'm not sure what that's going to look like this summer, but um, they basically train kids who have never been around the golf golf course to just caddy and and to know where to stand and to know what to do and um, you know when to say good shot and when not to. And um, that, that that was just really cool to to get involved with and kind of seeing how um, you know they can be a part of the community in that way, just like bringing kids in and you could tell how excited a lot of them were. So, um, common ground is, uh, it's a really cool place. Such great, uh, such a great project. That whole thing is, but the caddy program, I, I didn't know that that's, that's really special that they incorporate, you know, getting loopers involved. It's a, it's a wonderful place to learn the game. I think, yeah. you know, we both benefited from that and, and I hope, uh, I hope others do too. Put a little cash in your pocket and right. you know, figure out on this this the, the oddity of the game of golf exactly well john thanks man stay well stay safe and uh yeah. we'll look forward to we got to get you some more ambassadors out there in denver area so you can join you on some of those tea times sounds good yeah thanks man great thanks, talking brother. To you. yeah great talking to you